Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yes, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Happy Kwanzaa. And well, all that. Kwanzaa yet, but, uh, Kwanzaa's tomorrow, yeah. but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Uh, I wanted to start since uh, the Christmas spirit is reminding me that uh, to again say thank you to all of the people who support us financially. It's a very uh, <laughs> my employer, my mother. No, uh, yeah. Well, no, like people sponsor us on Anchor. I know, it's, I know. No, well, I'm explaining. People sponsor us on Anchor. So if you don't know, you can go on Anchor and people you can give 99 cents a month. Which of everyone who listened to us gave us 99 cents a month. I could get that Porsche Taycan I really want. No, <laughs> actually. Um, and then people, uh, you know, there's the super thanks on YouTube. So whenever I say hit the thanks button, people are hitting the thanks button. And There's a super thanks button? The, when you go on YouTube, there's a button that says thanks. And sometimes it's called super thanks depending on where you are and then there's like chat stickers so people give money so when we're in the live chat and you see the it's like legendary legends yeah and then people like have venmoed us money like so i'm very appreciative yes you know i'm uh I, i think we're both very good with money and frugal like we're not extravagant people and we certainly know the value of a dollar so yes i know that you know for someone to give a dollar means a lot. So yes. And I, I don't online gamble. I don't. Yeah. Oh, that was the other thing. It was recommended to me by someone. And I agreed that we should explain what we do with that money. Since people are giving it to us. Yeah. What do you do with that money? Well, so fish jelly is set up as an LLC. So all of that money goes into a business account. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not just going into our pockets and we have an accountant who um, assist us with, tax stuff and so all of it is legit and that money is used for to to pay things related to our channel and the podcast so like pays for internet and cell phone and like when nick goes traveling for film festivals and when we go to screenings and the cost to park and eat because oftentimes screenings are during uh dinner time and Mm -hmm. equipment such and such and then well saving yeah. money because paying artists for the prints for the th- that's right the graphic design stuff um yeah we we're we're paying for all of that so and then the remainder of it sits there because we would like to use it to for a long gestating project for a long gestating well yeah. actually it's in its infancy still still in its infancy but we would like to try to make a film but yeah so this money is not just going to me buying you know frivolous unrelated things but the entire point of that was to just say thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and- I have a quote for us from Garrison Keeler, who I actually don't like. I think he's a creep, <laughs> and I hate those stupid shoes he wears. Oh, is well. he still alive? Um, oh, he does the homecom. The oh yeah, uh, Prairie Home Companion. Prairie Home Companion, which Lindsay Lohan was in a movie of that, right? Yeah, Meryl and Meryl Streep, and that used Tomlin. to record at the Fitzgerald in St. Paul. Yeah, and that, yeah. that was Robert Altman's last film before he died. Uh, but a lovely thing about Christmas is that it's compulsory, like a thunderstorm, and we all go through it together. Yeah, he would, you know, he wrote some nice things sometimes, but I, I have to double down on I, I, I do find him unpleasant. Oh God! Well, so well, we were trying to keep it positive. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but... here we go. Yep. Okay. I have to be talking me- about me being negative. I have to be me. I have to I preface that with. Well, let's move on. I was reading that well, you you also mentioned this to me last week about Edie Falco. 
and filming <laughs> Avatar The Way of Water. She filmed that four years ago. Uh-huh. And this lady was quoted as saying that she thought it had already come out and that it was a flop and that's why she didn't hear about it. Eating. Now, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. You think Avatar 2 came out and flopped and no one... <laughs> She's like, yeah, I started getting all this like comments about it and then I realized like, oh, the movie came out. Oh, so this bitch was mad. She's mad, not invited to premieres. <laughs> She sounds mad. How are you going to say you didn't know Avatar what? 2 came out? <laughs> I mean, she is very busy. I mean, she works, so it's not like she was just sitting around, but still. No, she is quite You're busy. in the sequel to one of the largest movies of all time, and you didn't realize it came out. I mean, that sounds like Carmela <laughs> Soprano right there. Uh, yeah, that's shady. Uh, so were you following the Tory Lanez, Megan Thee Stallion trial at all? No. But you know about. Yes. Um, so Tory Lanez was convicted uh, for three felony charges in uh, respect to the shooting of Megan the Stallion. Uh, yeah. So for people who don't know, like, I don't even remember. Was it two years ago? Or Yeah, that sounds right. But Megan the Stallion and Tory Lanez, who's a Canadian hip hop artist, uh, they were at Kylie Jenner's house in the Hollywood, one of her homes, which this one was in the Hollywood Hills. They were leaving a party and Megan the Stallion was shot in her foot. And she said, Tory Lanez did it. And then it was very vague for a while. Like, what are the details? Like, this man just shot you in your foot. Apparently, Megan's ex-assistant, along with Megan the Stallion, were in a sexual relationship with Tory Lanez. So they were at this party and things got heated for what, you know, because shit is messy. And he shot her in her damn foot and he was found guilty of assault with a semi-automatic weapon. My screen just went black. I don't want to misquote this these man's charges. He was uh, charged with assault with a semi-automatic handgun, having a loaded and unregistered firearm in a vehicle, and gross negligence in discharging his firearm. So he could get uh, around 20, I think the max is like 22 years in prison, oh. and being deported back to Canada. Uh, well, I mean, that's not the worst part. But... but, I mean, you shot this lady in her damn foot, which, of course, makes me think of Harlem Nights. Oh, yes. When Della. Della Reese got shot in her pinky, pinky toe. toe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making light of this woman's pain. but no. It just seems like it was so messy for a while. Like, what happened? I know. I don't try to read the tabloid stuff about her because I do really like her. Because um, ultimately, it doesn't matter. And she'll probably write a song about it anyway. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, she'll get... You know, in the in the end, she's the one who you know is winning. Yeah. Uh, did you see Sam Jackson was trending on Twitter? For what? Can you do you want to guess why? Was he was he talking some bullshit? No. Oh. He didn't realize, or maybe he did, but you know, and maybe a lot of people don't realize this. When you like stuff on Twitter, it's like everyone can see it. So anyone who follows was you, was he liking some porn shit? Yes. Oh! Sammy I know and people were like trying to tag him like hey someone tell Sam that we can see all this hardcore porn he's <sighs> liking I, I didn't want to read the type of porn because I just I don't need to tell know him that. he just needs to follow those people yeah. <laughs> I mean you can see who people follow too so, of course I mean, you, you can can't... but it's, that's less uh... well no because he's famous so oh that's he can't, true he that's can't true. follow them either because well, everyone he needs to have a fake Twitter account he then. needs to have I don't know what the kids call a fake Twitter but he needs to have a fake Twitter account Okay, did you see about, like, there were some clickbaity headlines about Oprah. The The headlines were like, she doesn't know how to give a gift under $100. Oh, 
I believe but that, it. But that's not true. And, and I wanted to mention it because I really hate these kind of things because, of course, I clicked on it. And what it was was she was accosted by some TMZ reporter. Of course. And they're like, hey, hey, Oprah, Oprah, uh, I like uh, I need to get my mom a, a, a gift. Like, what would you recommend? So Oprah recommends something off of her favorite things list, which costs $100. And the guy tells Oprah, well, that's too much. I can't afford that. And she's like, oh, $100 is too much. Okay. And he's like, yeah, I can't afford that. And then, of course, that's where they stop. I, ha- I have a book for you. It's called Crafts for Poor People by <laughs> Amy Sedaris. But then, of course, the, 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 the part that isn't highlighted is she very quickly gave him an option that didn't cost anything. He's like, well, because she says, well, if $100 is too much, what you could do is write her a nice card and include in the card the 10 things you like most about her. And that would also be a lovely gift, which it, it would be. So I just felt like, you know, but and here's the thing. I'm not rich. and there have been times I didn't have money, but I think if you are bold enough to walk up to someone and a ask, rich woman, a rich woman, and ask her what's a good gift for my mother, and she and she tells you a hundred dollar thing, that's not that much money. If you're that concerned and you didn't tell her that it needs to be cheap, and a hundred dollars to her is cheap, so you, uh, why would you, that's stupid? Go ask, go ask like Susie that. Orman then. Yeah, if, I just if hate, you want to. Yeah. buy frugal gifts i don't know why i'm so upset about it but it really annoyed me i like, mean that shit's annoying don't try to hem oprah up because then but it's also like, it's like is she in the same league as you not that i'm into that kind of rhetoric at all but it's like this person lives a lifestyle that you cannot imagine so why would you think that she would be the best person yeah she comes up with her favorite things list but that's what it is it's not her saying this is what the average american should buy this is her saying these are the 25 things i really like these are things she likes it's her opinion but anyway I just thought of that because it was no. Christmas. The only thing I saw about her recently is somebody sent her uh, a very large truffle, like a. Oh, people thought that was elitist because apparently that truffle cost like eighteen hundred dollars. Well, it was a gift, but it was a gift, and also like, and all she ever talks. Even I know. Well, I'm a, I know I'm an Oprah fan, so I would know this, but she loves truffles. But the thing they're not including is that she's also saying in that video, like, oh my gosh, this is so huge. I'm going to share it with everyone I know who loves truffles. Yes. it's So it's like, damn, this lady got this expensive gift that she's saying she wants to share because she loves it and she knows other people love it. And all people want to say is like, she's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people out here with a lot of money living very extravagant lives. Uh, and doing all kinds of weird shit in the dark. But And if I were rich, y'all couldn't take me. I would be ridiculous too. So... Let's not act like. Anyway, did you see? So Brooke Shields has a podcast, and she had what's that? The movie Blue Lagoon. I've never seen that. Who's the guy in it? Oh, I always forget because I've never seen it. Uh, it's not in my head. Movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Richard. Uh, what is his name? Now I feel stupid. And there's a sequel. Anyway, he was on there talking because that guy. Christopher Atkins? Oh yes, yes. Uh, he's in something else. I know. When who who directed that? Um. Anyway, oh, Randall Kleiser, who's gay, who did Grease. Anyway, they he was on her podcast and they were talking about the filming of it and just saying like how crazy it was and how it couldn't be done today and how he was he was eighteen when they filmed that and she was fourteen mm-hmm. and they had to be naked a lot. Yes, and it, that, there was there was scandal about. And that then Brooke then. she was talking about how how uncomfortable it was because she had never seen a penis before. So like now this is like her being confronted with it like literally on her body because they would be like close and that she didn't want to look at it because she didn't want that to be like the first penis she saw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, they were saying that the director, because they're on this island, 
scantily clad or nude that they needed to have a full tan. So he made them tan naked. They did say they put them in these huts next to each other with a wall so they couldn't see each other. But then they were just like sun tanning. And then they talked about like the animal cruelty that occurred on set because they were like killing like the fish in the water, doing all this crazy shit. And then like people, because of all the bug bites and being exposed, like several crew members had really bad infections. And But it just sounds like it was a horrible. I would watch that, you know, which is funny because there was previous scandal about her in a movie, which, of course, was Pretty Baby, where she played uh, Susan Sarandon's mother, who is a prostitute in a brothel and uh, a large portion of the movie is about selling the Brook Shields virginity. Well, I know I saw Blue Lagoon many, many years ago. And if I recall correctly, those two people like her and the other guy, Chris they're Rapp. cousins in the movie. Oh. And they have a baby together. <laughs> oh, so this is some V.C. Andrews flowers in the attic shit. I, I could be wrong, and I certainly didn't take the time to look ver- verify this, but I believe that's the story. Anyway. Um, um, Christopher Atkins, uh, he also was in Randall Kleiser's later movie, It's My Party. I wanted to... Someone sent this to me and asked me what my thoughts were. So MAC Cosmetics mm-hmm. has like a Whitney Houston collection to coincide with the movie. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. I don't think we need this. First of all, so it's a collection of like seven things, one of which is um, like, a, well, two of which are like a, oh no, one is like eyelashes and the other is like a toiletry bag. But it's like an eyeshadow palette, lip gloss, lipstick, blush. Whitney, this just seems like such a money grab because Whitney is gone and her child is gone. So who's getting this money? Right. The family who but leached off of her. This is no different than splashing Marilyn Monroe's uh, face over a ton of stuff like that as well. But the worst part about this, just as a beauty professional, Whitney was not known for her makeup. So this pa- these palettes don't mean anything. And then... Just look, like everything. I mean, then look at like inspired by... An, like you're looking at the, mm-hmm. the shop page, but like none of these are reminiscent of her. Like... When you look at these three women, you don't... Whitney Houston does not have a signature face. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so I'm just so confused. It, it just seems like a money grab to go along with this mediocre movie they made of her life. Like, okay. Uh, that's too bad. It's because I like Casey Lemons and I just... I, I understand why she probably was excited to make this movie uh, in Naomi Aki, but... I don't know. It just seems unnecessary to me. Yeah. Um, lastly, someone sent me an episode of a podcast to listen to, um, and it was about movie trailers. And I actually thought you probably would have enjoyed it, but basically talking about how movie trailers do a disservice to the actual story most of the time and the viewing experience. Like if you go in sort of, Either because a lot of trailers tell you the whole the entire movie. I agreed, but I've always said that I don't. I really well. I'll go out of my way not to right. watch a trailer. Well, the other thing too is how often do we get exposed to trailers? Because we, well, you especially, like you see things at film festivals. You you go to screenings. I go to screenings. There are never trailers at those things. Right. And then when we watch movies at home, it's usually a screening link. Mm-hmm. So of course there are no trailers. So the only time we ever see trailers. That was my trash can. The only time we ever see trailers is when we pay for a movie, which is very rare. Like right. maybe three, two, three times a year. Right. Do I see trailers? 
And then, but I, and but, then there's too many of them. Like, God, half an hour worth of trailers. But they said, so they either give me, they, they either spoil the movie or they set me up for something. How many times have I watched a trailer for something? I'm being, I, I, I wasn't fully, I do watch trailers. Like when you ask me to watch a movie, I will pull up the trailer mm-hmm. just to get a sense of what it is. And I'm often disappointed. Like they made this look like a thriller. Oh, yeah, and this yeah. is like, <laughs> I mean, a 24 has a problem with that. Yeah. Right. Okay. But this podcast went into the history of trailers and they talked about like how Hitchcock and um, like Roger Corman, how, how they used to do trailers, which was the actual filmmaker would talk about the film mm-hmm. and the experience they want you to have. And I thought that is such a brilliant way to sell a movie is have the filmmaker get on screen and talk about the story they're trying to tell. Oh yeah, Hitchcock always in, yeah. I don't know why we stopped doing that. Now we just, now trailers are like little movies. Like they're just like the, like the movie I'm about to watch, well, they it, shrink it down to two minutes. There's always a concern about how is that trailer going to be cut to market that. Uh, but as someone who works in marketing and acquisitions, like I know that the entire goal is to get butts and seats or to get people to stream and pay money. So whatever you have to do, but I think that's the sad part of it is like it like artistic integrity takes a back seat to that's long been the problem in the media, which yeah. we all know. But yeah. anyway, okay, moving on. So uh we got a comment slash question more than one about our worst of list oh yeah and how it's not fair that we included like independent and low budget films we should only be including like bigger budget theatrical releases and i don't i can kind of see that point of view of like well people with less resources would not maybe have the best quality. But then my argument to that is there are a lot of films out there that don't have big budgets that are amazing. I agree. And then we just released our best of, and many of those films are not big budget films. Or foreign. Mm-hmm. So that I don't think that's an excuse. I don't, yeah. I Telling agree. a story is free. Like writing words down is free. I think free. we say that in the worst list. You need to, you, you at the basic level at the most basic level when you're starting out on this project where are the writers where is the writing where i will is the make story? i will make fun of like crunchy cgi and you know maybe not having the resources to have proper styling and set production and hair and makeup but 90 percent of the time i'm shitting on the story the shit was dumb like this basic story was dumb the words that came out of these characters mouths didn't make any damn sense so that doesn't cost anything and Many of the movies on our list, I felt were like, like just people who just like the kind of care and concern these filmmakers put into the movie is what we got. Like they just want to make a movie. What I also don't like about that is that it's this politically correct kind of filter. Like we can only go after the big dogs. And it's like the the sad reality is about like Elvis, which I think is crap. And I think Tom Hanks performance is actually quite terrible and it's it's egregiously whitewashed but there are some things about that film that are quality it's beautiful and the soundtrack is is great and i think the main guy did a really good job i agree i think his performance is much better than that film or bros i didn't like bros either but but i don't think it's the worst film. no and there are a lot of people in the sidelines that i really like and respect and that i thought did the best they could with what they had and the films on our worst list there's just nothing about them. I don't think that much effort was made, even, that's with, what I'm, yeah. even with limited resources. That's what I'm saying. Like, 
you these people put in nothing like and then we and that's what we get and i'm supposed to be like it's okay because it was low budget no. and you shouldn't have made the film no if you didn't have the resources and you can't tell a good story that's just like saying <laughs> uh holding something to a different set of standards because it's from like a black filmmaker or a woman director or a trans director right. it, like we do a disservice to people by patting their hands or, or, or patting whatever that saying is uh by saying that well know, giving participation awards yeah because... no i don't agree with that no anyway it's also my time i sat and watched this piece of shit well moving on to films released we didn't cover something called living oh yes yes uh i, I would have gotten to this um had we had time, but it's a uh, remake of Akira Kurosawa's Akiru, I think from 1952, starring Bill Nye uh, and directed by South African filmmaker Oliver Hermanis, who I know you kind of like because I, I believe you enjoyed his film Beauty from 2011 that with that uh, kind of a gay movie. Wait, oh, not the Whitney Houston? Not, not the Whitney Houston fan fiction by Dosen Moo. Oh, uh, it's wait, called... it, what what is the director's name? Oliver Hermanus. He's, and it's called Beauty? Yeah, from 20, 2011. Up. Anyway, uh, and the script is penned by Kazuo Ishiguro, who, of course, is one of the most notable writers ever from, you know, wrote Remains of the Day and uh, Never Let Me Go. I saw this out of Sundance and thought it was fine. I'm a, I'm probably a bigger fan of the uh, Kurosawa's original film. Uh, but this has gotten a lot of traction throughout the year, uh, popping up at other fe festivals like AFI and forgetting where else uh but the central performance by bill nye is this kind of civil ser servant who uh, unbeknownst to those around him is dying has a lot of nice things mm. next no bears uh jafar panahi again trying to be an inventive filmmaker while not being able to leave his country uh this premiered at venice this past year and i think won the third place prize and i overall quite liked it uh and would recommend it i don't Joseph's never seen a Jafar Panahi film. I'd probably start with Crimson Gold. But uh, there are, yeah, I, I'd say that's worthy of watching. I didn't even ask you if you wanted to see it, though. Hmm. Okay, Women Talking. I think we can still find time to watch this because it's going to expand theatrically, so it would make sense to review. But Sarah Polly is making her first film since, I think, 2012. You know, she's been writing stuff, but, you know, extremely talented uh, actor turned screenwriter and director uh I, I am a fan of take this waltz uh especially the Mich the little white michelle williams performance in that but uh women talking is a very odd interesting film and to me i i would i i think you would have a lot to say about this but it feels like uh if the women from m night Shyamalan's the village had uh lived a couple t too many generations in there and realized that this situation is no good for them either <laughs> mm. uh but a, a fascinating maybe flawed but interesting film hmm. well let's take a break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Movies we watched for fun. Oh. Something called Where's Papa? 
Oh, it's been so nice. Like the, it felt like a vacation this week because I could actually watch some things I've been wanting to watch. Because uh, <laughs> I can't not watch movies all the time. <laughs> well, you, you have, okay, there are certain expectations <laughs> of keeping up. Uh, but where's Papa? Uh, God, I, what year is this? 1970, uh, Carl Reiner film, who, you know, the brother of Rob Reiner. Modern audiences might know him as the senior member of Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven films. Uh, he died in 2020. But I think this, I don't, it's not his first film. He's probably best known for directing Steve Martin and The Jerk as a director. But it stars George Siegel, Ruth Gordon, Ron Liebman, Trish Vandeveer, who used to be married to George C. Scott. Uh, Garrett Morris and Arnold Williams have small roles in it. Uh, and it's basically about a, a lawyer who falls in love with a young woman, but his ailing mother, Ruth Gordon, is a little bit batty and hard to deal with according to him and he falls in love with this woman that he hires to take care of her but decides that his love for the woman uh necessitates him trying to kill his mother hmm. next the uh, ambulance yeah i didn't really like it uh the ambulance larry cohen who is always near and dear in my heart thinks that the it's alive films and uh oh god god told me to kill uh recently i watched a return to salem lot which is really bad uh but he directed this movie called the ambulance in 1990 starring eric roberts wearing a mane of hair like mel gibson and lethal weapon uh red buttons has kind of a terrible supporting performance and james earl jones is entertaining as a cop uh but it's about a a, a young man that flirts with a woman on a new york city street uh, she falls and hits her head an ambulance is called as he searches through for her throughout the city hospital, discovers that she has been abducted by some nefarious organization that's taking diabetics around the city and experimenting on them. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me kind of of that mid-90s movie, Extreme Measures. But I had fun with it. It is a little crunchy, but, you know, Eric Roberts, I think he deserved to have a, a longer career as a lead performer. Uh, next, Super Bitch super bitch i've had this on region two forever it's also it was i think it was released in the u.s as mafia junction but it's uh italian i saw the cover i think i took a picture of you it. did yeah uh because i was i was searching for my region two uh dvd player in the house and that was my experiment on it uh massimo dalamano who i really like his film what have you done to Solange? Uh, Knowles. No, not no. well. Yeah, what what have you done to Solange? Beyonce. What have you done to Solange? Uh, from the early seventies, starring the the woman from Solange, who you don't see till the very end, is played by Camille. What's her name from? Uh, uh, I spit on your grave. Uh, this stars Ivan Rasimov and Stephanie Beecham, who people that are fans of Dynasty might know because she was Sable Colby. Uh, it is a, a bit of a mess. It's about this woman that's used to kind of trap notable people, politicians and such in compromising situations. And then they are used in this elaborate drug trafficking ring. But uh, Patricia Hayes, I kept watching this woman. She's playing Mama the Turk. I'm like, God, I recognize her face. So after it was over, I was like, oh, that's Roselle from the movie Willow. Mm. Next, Cold Heaven. I haven't, there are, just a hand, maybe one or maybe three Nicholas Rogue films I've never seen. And one of them was Cold Heaven. And I have to say, I really liked this movie. It is a combination of this, reminds me of this short story by Kate Chopin, Story of the Hour, mixed with Graham Greene's uh, The End of the Affair. Uh, but it's about this woman played by Rogue's wife, Teresa Russell, who I usually don't like in his films, but I thought she was actually fine in this. 
as a woman who's cheating on her husband, she's, they go to Acapulco, she's about to tell him, and then he gets struck uh, in a waterboating accident and dies while they're in Mexico. Uh, she goes back home and all of a sudden he pops up alive at the same hotel that she was going back to meet her lover at, who's also a doctor. And Mark Harmon is the ex. And then so she has this kind of bizarre religious experience. About it. There's a lot going on, but I really liked it. Uh, co-star Talia Shire as a nun. Uh, Julie Carmen, who we just watched in the original Gloria recently and from In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, Will Patton, Seymour Cassell. Uh, a lot of these people were in... Uh, TV version of uh, Sweet Bird of Youth that Rogue would do with Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, I love the original with Paul Newman and Geraldine Page. I've never seen the Rogue Taylor version, but uh, and it was scripted by Brian Moore, who wrote Alfred Hitchcock's Torn Curtain and wrote uh, the I think the Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn, which is in a good movie with Maggie Smith and uh, Bob Hoskins. Next is Traces of Red. Oh my God. I ha We have to revisit this film, but I need a break. I need a little distance from it because this was fucking terrible. Uh, <laughs> and I remember seeing the VHS cover as a kid and wanting to rent it. And my parents, of course, wouldn't let me. It's directed by Andy Wolk, uh, who I think has only worked in television after this. But starring James Belushi, Lorraine Bracco, Tony Goldwyn, Faye Grant, uh, who Faye Grant, I think you know from the last Omen movie, the Omen 4, uh, oh who used to be married to Stephen Collins, who I think ended up being a pedophile uh, or something of such nature. But it is this overly complicated half-baked film noir set in West Palm Beach or, or something like that. And Lorraine Bracco, who I love, who's kind of fresh off her Goodfellas Oscar nod, who people know as Dr. Melfi from The Sopranos, probably. She is not a good femme fatale. And they made this poor woman be blonde. I mean, this this Italian, this dark-complected Italian woman, they give this terrible blonde hair. Uh, uh, and she's just not... I, I don't think she, she was well-directed to be this femme fatale. Uh, and there are so many obnoxious uh, plot twists and turns. And James Belushi has this Lothario that all these women are salivating over is not it to me. Uh, yeah. Oh, and you, she was not double nominated for a Razzie this year for this and Medicine Man with Sean Connery, which I've also never seen. What is the name of the movie you were an extra in? Retake. Retake. That's random. Someone just asked me. Uh, the next movie is called Buried Alive. Buried Alive. Uh, 1989, direct, uh, French director uh, Gerard Quiquan, probably butchering his last name, probably best known for the Anthony Perkins movie he did right before this, Edge of Sanity. Uh, but he directed this odd little movie, which has the misfortune of sharing a title with a TV movie Frank Darabont would only do a year later, starring Jennifer Jason Leigh. Uh, but this is starring Donald Pleasance and Robert Vaughn, but I watch it because it is the uh, debut of Nia Long uh, oh. as a character named Fingers. <laughs> oh. Was she a lesbian in the movie? She's not, um, and she actually has a bigger part than I was expecting. And she does. Look, I love lesbians. She does look. I do too. She does look young and beautiful. Uh, moving on, something from Tiffany's. So you you oh. watch this with me. I so wait. This, this this one we need to highlight because it was a very pleasant surprise. You put it on. I put it on. Because? Uh, a co-worker had been telling me about it. And That's I was right. like, God, I don't think I received any emails about this movie. It, it was definitely not on my radar. It's on Amazon Prime. Yes. Something from Tiffany's. I was tired. It was kind of later in the evening. We were in bed. 
it was pretty late. And you put this you. shit on, and I was thoroughly entertained. Yeah, you were. Uh... I was howling. I would highly recommend. And you have to watch it with people. Yes. Like, get your homegirls together and watch this movie because we, we need to take a little time on this one. Because okay. the basic story is the guy from Insecure. Kendrick Sampson. He is a creative writing professor at UCLA and he has convinced his girlfriend who's like in Hawaii to travel to New York for Christmas mm -hmm. because he has intentions to propose to her and move back there well she doesn't know that yeah and he's with his daughter who's kind of annoying yeah a little too precocious. like a little 10 year old you think yeah anyway while he's with his daughter picking up the engagement ring from Tiffany's he witnesses a guy, Jack Nicholson's son. Ray Nicholson, who we all know I don't care for. Get into a car accident. And Ray was also leaving Tiffany. So they both have their little blue bags. And of course, this is like a romantic comedy. They switch the bags. Mm -hmm. So then as their Christmas gifts, when um, Ray Nicholson gives. Who has some amnesia about that night, like while you were sleeping. When he gives his girlfriend, who's played by Zoe Deutsch, daughter of Leah Thompson and Howard Deutsch, he bought her a pair of like three hundred dollar earrings. Mm -hmm. And when he when she opens the the box, it's like you know a twenty thousand dollar engagement ring. So he takes that opportunity to say, "Yeah, will you marry me?" And she says yes. And then when old boy gives his girl the box, it's these cheap ass earrings mm -hmm. and she's like oh thank you they're beautiful and he's like in shock mm -hmm. and this is where the movie gets real good and but prior to that reveal kendrick sampson and his daughter went to the hospital to look for ray nicholson which is kind of a, a bit crunchy how that happens but yes that's where he meets so Zoe the first 20 minutes is a little crunchy and i was like i'm not watching this shit turn it off but then when he realizes that his engagement ring is not what's in that box Everything else that follows was, it, it's one of those movies where you're just screaming at the screen like, I can't believe you're not doing this. I can't believe you're How not doing this. How are we that. not communicating? How are people? we not? I had so much fun watching it. And I have to say, um, what's that lady's name? The, the nepotism baby? Zoe Deutsch. I thought she was very lovely. Who's in a nepotism romance with Ray Nicholson. I think she's lovely too. Yeah. And the guy from Insecure, whose name I keep forgetting. Kendrick Sampson. I just thought that they were so lovely together. They and had, they seemed to have chemistry. They had really nice energy, yeah. And then I think the way his girlfriend or you know, fiance was played, it was very well done. Mm -hmm. It felt very Christmassy. I loved how New York looked. Yeah. And it was very low budget, it seemed. I, I just thought it was adorable and... You know what? It reminded me. I don't of want to ruin the ending. I mean, it's pretty predictable, but it's very, you know, we've seen this time and time and right off the top of the head, the girlfriend reminds me of Rosie Perez and it could happen to you. Have you ever seen that with Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda? No, that's a sweet movie. But um, yes, if you have Amazon Prime, I, I think a fun movie to watch with friends is something from Tiffany. And it's based on a book by Melissa Hill, produced by Reese Witherspoon. I, you know, I, I don't have any feelings particularly about Zoe Deutsch before this, but actually I, 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 yeah, I really liked her. Um, I, I thought she was adorable. Oh, and then we have to mention her best friend in the movie is played by a woman who I recognize from another movie. Oh, from Fresh, the best friend from Fresh. Yeah, Joji, this black lady uh, uh, who's playing a lesbian. Yeah. I, I thought she added a lot of really nice texture. Again, it, it's a good example of how you can take something that's been beaten to death and with you know some really good charismatic people, even kind of overcome where they had to cut corners in the script. I also really love that it's like an interracial relationship and 
there is and and then you know you have the black lesbian best friend of the white lady and it just i, I just love that it all felt very I, seamless for i believe that they might be friends you know and yes I, yeah and i think that's a testament to that actor as well because i believe that she was this other white lady's friend in fresh yeah like like but still retain being her uh and it i i had very low expectations it's directed by daryl ween and i've hated his last couple films i've seen i absolutely loathed lola versus back from 2012 and i if i if i loathe that movie throw how it ends under a rock and never never bring it drag it out into the light of the day i hated that movie we took something positive and made it negative sorry but but just going to show though like you never know Moving on, something called The Knack and How to Get It. Uh, this won the Cannes Film Festival in 1965, but I just have never made it. I, I finally sat and watched it. It, it is interesting. It's very, very much of its period, but uh, Richard Lester, who we recently did a podcast on, this, The Ritz. Hmm. Uh, but this was, this was, you know, a major film he did. Also, A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles film. Uh, but... Uh, Rita Tushingham, who is young and lovely in it and has since been in many, many things. Uh, she basically she's looking for the she's tramping around London looking for the YWCA and she stumbles upon these these two men, one who has the knack, i.e. sex appeal and can get women and a school teacher who cannot. And the man who thinks he has the knack basically kind of sexually assaults her. Ooh. And then she spends the rest of the movie just screaming that she's been raped and. Uh, and it ends up being a lot more light than you would think based on those things. It's very odd. Uh, I'm going to shout out a podcast I listened to because they should have me on once. But um, I listened to a podcast called The Regular Exclusive, and it's a movie podcast with this man and this woman. And they were talking about the Adult Swim Yule Log movie. Mm-hmm. So it sounded interesting, and I put it on. The premise is very interesting. The, the film starts with just your typical like holiday Yule log like video. So we just see like this fireplace burning for a minute and then we start hearing dialogue and then we see that there's a guy who's rented this cabin in the woods and he actually films Yule logs like that's how he makes money on YouTube and then shit goes real south. This cabin is under assault by three different entities, mm-hmm. a serial killer. Mm-hmm. aliens yeah and like this demonic yule log spirit yeah and it just it it is just a lot i really applaud the idea of it because it does feel like wtf but but it's for it's i don't like that it's for the sake of being wtf but by the 60 like, minute mark i was like i was kind of having a hard time staying awake and then i actually did just leave i couldn't <laughs> yeah i I, did, I eventually got bored with it because it didn't seem like there was any clincher about why exactly we are dealing with this the spirit of this slave woman who murdered her master and how oh that's right then there's the storyline of yeah I, I i i needed that to be a little bit stronger to I feel like if you're going to bring to up, be dabbling in. Yeah. I think if you're going to start playing with those kind of plot lines, this shit needs to be a little more elevated. Yeah. Cause then I just, yeah, I, I'm not making any accusations. I just thought that it was doing a lot. It's directed by Casper Kelly, who wrote the script for Mandy starring Nicolas Cage, which I'm a fan of. That being said, um, I can see people f- enjoying this a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I would definitely check it out because within the first like 15 minutes, you'll know if you're into it, like yeah. it'll pull you in or not. Okay. Next the blue caftan. Uh, I missed this. at can, it was in the, in certain regards section this past year, but it is, uh, 
I think the second film by Mariam Tuzani, and it was just shortlisted for the Oscars. It's Morocco's official submission for Best International Feature. Uh, stars an actress I actually quite like, Lobna Azabal, who, if you haven't seen Denis Villeneuve's Incendie from 2009, highly recommended. Uh, but it's about a tailor and his wife who own a shop. She's dying. He's gay. And there's a handsome young man that's working in the shop. Ooh. And I really liked the male lead as well, Salah Bakri, uh, who was... His biggest film is probably The Band's Visit from 2007. Okay, next. Some Kind of Wonderful. After something from Tiffany's, I was like, you know, I haven't seen Leah Thompson in a minute. And I have oh, very boy. fond memories of her. You do probably from Howard the Duck. I do as Howard the, the Duck. The mom Ugh. from Dennis the Menace uh, with Walter Matthau and Joan Plowright. Uh, but Some Kind of Wonderful I'd never seen, which is directed by Howard Deutsch, the father of that that young woman uh starring eric stoles and mary stewart masterson and oh, my Thompson. friend eric stoles yes from your i have an old co-worker from minnesota whose husband's his nephew i think but uh i enjoy eric stoles uh, but it's He's funny because, because leah thompson was in uh back to the future which he they filmed portions of and then he was fired because he was too intense and that's how michael remember that's how yeah. michael j fox got it but it's interesting it, it's basically him caught between two women and there's a it's like they did this to mary stewart masterson and fried green tomatoes and like cut out the queerness of it but i really read her character as queer and mm. she gives the best performance in this but it was you know a, a better than i was expecting okay heart of midnight this uh doesn't isn't quite as successful but i really like the the bones of it and i like the vibe of it but jennifer jason lee plays this young neurotic woman who hires this uh decrepit sex club from her creepy uncle uh and good there's a uh, significant demons baked into the walls not supernaturally but she, basically it's revealed that the this uncle used to molest her and there is a young uh what you i mean it's a woman playing a young man, but they read as sexually traumatized. And that's why the presentation is such as living in the walls and comes out to terrorize her at the end. And then there's a bizarre Peter Coyote uh, thrown into the mix. It was, I don't think it's successful, but again, I think somebody could really remake this and be quite good. I do like Jennifer Jason Lee. Matthew Chapman directed it. Uh, he, his first film was Hussy starring Helen Mirren. All right. So it was recommended more than once uh, that we watch Call Me Miss Cleo, mm -hmm. which is a documentary that was on HBO Max. Yeah. So we did watch it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, Miss Cleo was this TV personality who was very popular in the 80s um, and early 90s for doing infomercials. Call me now, this black woman with the Jamaican accent. The sketchy Jamaican accent, but yeah. And we find out that, you know, her background is questionable, like in legal documents, because she was involved in a court case involving fraud related to the company that hired her, mm -hmm. that she was born in Los Angeles and her parents are all American. So, um, you know, her background is very questionable. Then we get some history of her back in her early days in San Francisco or in Seattle and people saying that she didn't have a Jamaican accent and that that character, Miss Cleo was actually a character she wrote for a play she was working on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had problems with the documentary mainly because I feel like Miss Cleo herself, I don't think is that compelling. It, you know, she's, she's part of the of pop culture, but I, I think really what was most interesting is hearing about this 
company called PRN, the Psychic Readers Network, mm -hmm. and how they, um, you know, made hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I think ultimately they build like a billion dollars in phone charges with these fake ass psychics. Mm -hmm. And which were just people hired off the street that basically were literally keep, hired keep off the street people on the line and all these lonely ass people. I mean, what I, I wish that, the, you know, what would, have, what would have been more interesting is hearing from the people who use those and how it affected their finances. I'm sure there are countless stories of people whose relationships suffered, their finances suffered because they were addicted to these phone, like, like these 900 numbers. I mean, in sixth grade, I called one of those things being funny with my friends and then, you know, a month later, the phone bill the comes bill. in and my parents are like, what the fuck is this? So, but, but Miss Cleo ended up uh, coming out as a lesbian. Her life is still like in the documentary. We don't learn a lot about how she lived her life. She ended up in Broward County, Florida. Um, she came out as a lesbian. We hear from a couple of people she dated, but no one really seemed like they knew her that well. And ultimately she died at the age of, I believe, 53 yes. from colorectal cancer. It is sad seeing her. The footage we get from her it's from a 2012 interview, from a 2012 interview, and then we do see her like in like a little later from like home videos. We have some of her godchildren talking. The part that I didn't like is like the people who are close to her are trying to validate her psychic ability. I, I think out of respect. And they just come across sounding crazy. Like, you know damn well the lady wasn't a psychic. You know that she was not, like, she was faking that accent. But I appreciate them wanting to respect her. Yes. And I found it fascinating. So I would recommend it if you know who Miss Cleo is. Um, if you don't, I feel like it, you would probably... It was kind of, you know, it's also frustrating knowing that, you know, these rich corporate entities that take advantage of people always get away scot-free and unscathed. Meanwhile, her life was destroyed. Yeah. And we really don't spend a lot of time. They just say that she was a recluse for 10 plus years. And okay, but that's the, the, the part of her life that probably is most interesting is what did she do in those 10 years when she locked herself in, for, in a house in Fort Lauderdale? Right. How is she making money? You know, so it is lacking, but still very interesting. Uh, directed by Celia Aniskovich and Jennifer Brea. Uh, the, has the, one of the, it has a, one good edit uh, where the white lady's talking about, she always used the same accent when she was in front of me, cutting to that black lady in Seattle who's like, uh, yeah. I think it's really easy to fool non-black people, yeah. but... If she, yeah, she's like amongst us. We need a little more uh, vetting than that. <laughs> different expression. No, her face when she's like, she cuts her eyes like. <laughs> That's what I needed more of is like, but but then I also appreciate like this woman, you know, her life had value and she was taken advantage of by PRN. Yes. So I don't, I don't think it should have been shit on her. I think we really should have focused on this corrupt business model. And also features... Uh, Raven Simonier and Deborah Wilson, who of course portrayed her in sketches. Yeah, who are both very colorful people. Oh yes. Okay, we need to keep going. We finished season two of The White Lotus. Yes. What are your overall thoughts? I I, I probably got into this more than you did. Uh, I liked it. I, and then you know I I do I think uh, I appreciate Mike White's uh, abilities for characterization. Uh, and there's some some of it's a little frivolous and tangential with some of the character. I mean, you, you know, you'll gravitate towards whoever you gravitate towards, but I felt bummed Jennifer Coolidge died. Cause I really enjoyed her again. Spoiler. And, um, well, come on now. And Aubrey Plaza, I do also highly enjoy. And I think I spent most of the time wondering if 
her behavior, if you or I uh, embodied those behaviors more, because I saw a lot of both of us in her character. Wait, in which character? Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> well, I think that, that that couple did a good job. Well, I mean, I think anyone can relate. Again, the beauty of these types of narratives is, like you said, you'll gravitate towards someone. Mm. I think why I don't love them sometimes is I wish there were more of some and less of others. Sure. So the storyline of like the three generations of men. Oh, but I like F. Murray Abraham. No, I think that like they could have been their own little series. That's true. Yeah. Like I wanted more of that. And then with Jennifer Coolidge and her assistant, I feel like I wanted more of that. So it just, every episode I was like, oh, I hope I get this. And then it never really, I enjoyed it. And I would like, I will definitely watch season three. I, I did enjoy it. I just, wanted more of certain things and then like the prostitutes kind of drove me crazy i like i was frustrated by them but they are a good accent to the they're good accent the singer was probably i i could have probably done even with less of her uh i really liked the british guy the british guy the one who's like supposed to be the nephew Oh yes, that Haley Lou Richardson. Yes, with. yes. I didn't like her. <laughs> I didn't like her either, but she reminds me of a lot of people. And Theo James made me uncomfortable for some reason. Well, he's he, very handsome, well, but I didn't care for him. He has a very sinister vibe about him. Yeah. Okay, we need to take a break again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, so much to get through. Okay, mm. projects of interest. Uh, viaje? Uh, yeah, viaje. Uh, which, what does that mean? Trip? Visit? Yes. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, the French-Chilean filmmaker who who is working in the 70s is, you know, fucking great. But he is finally finishing his uh, autobiographical trilogy, which began in 2013 with Dance of Reality, and then continued with, what was the next one? Endless Poetry. Um which I'm fine with. They're kind of Fellini light feeling. Uh, you know, he's very old. Uh, it's it's too it's sad that there were a couple of decades squandered where he wasn't making anything. Uh, we covered uh, his Santa Sangre in uh, uh, podcasts. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Bolero. Uh, Anne Fontaine, the uh, perennial French director, who's a lovely person. I think she probably works too much. But we've also covered a couple of her things. But she is directing a movie about a composer. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. Ravel, Maurice Ravel. Uh, particularly about his piece, Bolero. Lastly, something called The Keep. Yes, it's a remake. Greg Nicotero, the special effects artist, is remaking The Keep, which is based on a pulp novel by F. Paul Wilson, I believe. Um, infamously, Michael Mann... Uh, his second film was an adaptation of this, which was uh, apparently a, a mess of a film on every conceivable level, and he's distanced himself completely. I think it's available on streaming. Uh, it, it, it's about these Nazis discovering something in like the Carpathian Mountains and, oh, un- and unleashing a demon. Uh, but I, I think he didn't have all the resources he needed, especially for significant reshoots involving this film. I like Jurgen Prochnow and I, what's her name? Alberta Watson. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you're a Michael Mann film, but I think he was able to accomplish 
something with it, even though it is flawed. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Someone named Mike Hodges. Someone named Mike Hodges, a fantastic British director who only directed 10 films. Uh, but Would I know any? Git Carter is very famous. Mm. It was remade with Sylvester Stallone. I think Michael Caine's the original. Uh, Croupier with Clive Owen is also big. Uh, my favorite personal film of his is Black Rainbow with Roseanne Arquette and Jason Robards. Highly recommend that film. Uh, Prayer Before Dying I watched recently, which he, I think, had his name taken off of. But uh, And I'll Sleep When I'm Dead is also very interesting. Uh, and Sonia Eddy died. Do you know who that is? She's a black actress. She was on like, yes. uh, I'm going to show you pictures. Can you see these? Yes, she was just on something we watched. She's in a lot of stuff, but she's probably best known for, um, she was on like 500 plus episodes of General Hospital, but she's in a ton of stuff. She died at the age of 55 from like, I think I was reading an infection from like elective surgery. So that's unfortunate, but. No, she was in something else recent that is not that. Oh, VHS 99. Okay. Oh, and she's the nurse in Frank and Penelope. Oh, that's her? That's her. She's oh, the one God. that's... <laughs> Which is on our worst of list. Sorry, girl. All right. The secret movie uh, today is... Hold on. I didn't pull it up. Uh... <laughs> Did you forget the name? No, I know the name. Okay. I like to know. Um, I like to know stats. You know, talk amongst yourselves for a second. Well, you were announcing the title. Well, yes. So here we go. Mm -hmm. uh, the secret film for today is the 1999 erotic mystery psychological drama film directed, produced, and co-written by Stanley Kubrick, Eyes Wide Shut. Yes. Why did you choose this film? Oh, I've been wanting to rewatch it for years. And uh, there was a screening of it at the Arrow Theater this past Thursday, and I asked you to go, and you said we didn't have time. So I'm like, well, we're going to watch it. Well, this film holds the Guinness World Record for the longest continuous film shoot of 400 days. And it feels like it shot for 400 days. Uh, okay. The movie feels long. I, anyway. I, I quite <laughs> like this film. And as watching it as a full-blown adult, uh, there's so much more that I like about it. Uh, but yes, I remember very well when it was filming across, what, 97 to somewhere in 99, about the torturous film shoot because he you know it's set in new york but stanley kubrick wouldn't travel so all of this was built uh in pinewood studios new york the new york the new york streets we see him walking and were built uh, as a studio in london for people who don't know the basic story revolves around a husband and wife played by tom cruise and nicole kidman who were actually married at the time and it's sort of a snapshot of their relationship and we get the sense that they are you know going through oh gosh what I mean, all couples go through yeah i mean yeah just kind of like not being as engaged with each other romantically and not communicating about uh their thoughts that are being their, had. yeah their sexual needs and desires but they have this beautiful life together he's a successful doctor she she has, was a gallerist and she has a child and they have this beautiful home in new york so it seems like everything's great but one night they're talking and nicole reveals to tom that she has this fantasy about a naval officer she saw once at a hotel and that really upsets him and as he's about to maybe like you know like 
if he hadn't been interrupted, they might have gotten into a fight. He gets a phone call saying that he needs to go see a patient, a patient who has just died. This conversation was uh, happened because they went to a party where they were both uh, flirting, flirting with other people. Yeah. So he goes to this like house call for the dead patient and things start to get interesting because the dead patient's daughter makes a move on Tom Cruise, like expressing her love for him and kissing him. Then he leaves the house and bumps into a prostitute. He ends up going home with her, but they never actually have sex because he gets interrupted by his wife calling. And then he goes to visit an old med school buddy who's now a pianist played by todd field the director of tar and that guy explains to him like oh yeah i have a gig later tonight like at 2 Mm a.m and tom is like i know you're not gonna tell me that and not give me the details like what the fuck are you doing at 2 a.m playing piano blindfolded blindfolded and he's like well there are these parties so then the night gets real crazy because the pianist says like well it's a costume party you have to wear a mask you have to have a password so tom there's a we can talk about it there's an interesting scene where he goes and gets a costume he shows up at the party and it's like a it looks like sort of a sadistic sex party but isn't you know the film is not that wild but it looks like it and they find out that tom cruise crashed the party and then the next day is spent with him trying to find out what was happening but also realizing then the movie becomes kind of a thriller where we think that maybe his life's in danger but ultimately he's told like we're just an elite group of people who have these sex parties and we don't want anyone to know about it so you need to keep your mouth shut and tom cruise goes home to his wife and tells her what happens and then we see them the next day like on christmas at the toy store basically saying like we should just consider ourselves lucky that we survived our adventures that we survived our adventures even though nicole's adventures are all in her head and tom was actually out in these streets Mm -hmm. and then the final line that i didn't like is nicole tells tom you know what we need to do as soon as possible fuck um i i didn't i didn't love this movie i think it's good i think it feels edgy it's knowing that so you read the book that is based on i so uh, yeah which i I've had for years. So I started it last night. It's a novella basically, but I started it last night and finished it this morning. Uh, I'm surprised at how much is really. It's from the 1920s. It's from 1926 Austrian writer, Arthur Schnitzler. Uh, But of course in that period, we're talking about, we're using terms like libertines. And I think the themes relating to relationships, sex, all that are timeless. So for the 1920s, it, I'm sure this was super edgy mm-hmm. for 1999. I can see how people thought this movie was, you know, spec- uh, sensational, especially because of who starred in it, who starred in it. And again, the audience for straight people, this is sensational for straight people. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of sitting there like, okay, but I'm not being cynical. I, I, I do think that it is like the story's well done. And I do think that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman give a good performance. Um, so we don't have a lot of time left, so I'm just going to go through my notes. Uh, at the 22 minute mark, um, I had said like, I'm already tired of seeing Nicole Kidman's ass because we see it like four times, I think. But then you made a good point, which is that it's probably supposed to represent how Tom's Tom's, tired of it. Tom's character is probably tired of seeing her ass. Bill. 
like you mentioned, uh, Todd Field is playing the piano at this par- like Christmas party that the film opens with. So that was interesting. Which is uh, Sidney Pollock, which is a... So Sidney Pollock is integral because he's kind of like this super rich guy who Tom Cruise is like his personal doctor. That character's not in the book, Oh, actually. And at one point early on in the film, at the party, Tom Cruise is like interrupted as he's flirting with two women to go see and there's a, a young lady named Mandy who appears to have overdosed on drugs mm-hmm. and Tom has to kind of get her back in shape. Well, there's a scene in Babylon much like that too. And she was having sex with Sidney Pollock's character. You know, what bothered me about that scene is, you know, Tom sits with her to make sure she's okay. She finally wakes up and then he starts telling her like she needs rehab. Yeah. And I, that really bothered me because it's like, how do you know that Sidney Pollock didn't drug and rape this woman? Right. Which is probably what did happen. And, you know, I, I know that's the story, but it was just so frustrating watching him trying to lecture her. And it's like, fool. And then 24 hours later, you're going to be afraid for your life for doing some dumb shit. So I do think it was very effective in making me think like the overall message of this movie to me is that all it takes is one bad decision to snowball into something that could, you know, affect the course of your life. Right. I mean, how many people end up getting a divorce or, you know, ending relationships over one stupid decision like oh i kissed this person or i sent this person a new picture and it's like one thing one stupid thing that you did that you weren't thinking of and now everything's over well and and kind of the juxtaposition of your your internal versus ex your internal thoughts versus external actions because you know the the lines in the toy star are taken directly from the end of the book where she says just as i'm sure that the reality of one night let alone that of a whole lifetime is not the whole truth yeah, and all, when he says, "and no dream is entirely a dream," so in that regard, I think it's very well done, and the anxiety that I think Tom's character should feel, I think was very well done. Meaning, like, you know, we've all done things or said things that it's like, oh my god, if this person finds out, like, I'm just so scared they're going to find out that I, you know, this happened. That tension, I think, is very done very effectively with Tom sort of running around trying to figure out like well and then Kubrick is doing I think what he did quite well with The Shining as well uh the 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 world this demi monde that it's set with you know particularly the sex party feels very much like The Shining to me when Nicole's telling Tom about her naval officer fantasy she's smoked weed which I think allowed her to be less inhibited um I thought that scene was okay I liked what she was saying how she tells him that you trust me because you think as a woman that I don't have basic needs. Mm -hmm. Like she's arguing with him and she makes some really good points about like accusing him of wanting to sleep with those women. Mm -hmm. And then she's using his own logic against him. I thought that the dialogue was very good. I think seeing Nicole trying to be like carefree and loose didn't quite work for me, but but uh, the script it was co-written by but Kubrick and uh, Frederick Raphael, who won an Oscar for uh, the film Darling, starring Julie Christie. The scene where the dead patient's daughter is like, she is crazy. She is looking at Tom Cruise like she wants to eat him. And then all of a sudden she's like, I love you. I love you. Yep. I love you. That, I thought that was very well done because I think, you know, if you're in a relationship and then you get into situations with people that are, it's it does happen that people get attached to you out of the blue Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god i don't even know you Mm -hmm. and you're like really into me and you're saying these crazy things to me so i thought that that 
uh, I thought that was a fun moment. It is, but she's also doing the same thing that really the Kidman character is doing with um, the naval officer. This, this It's about projection and a projected desire. And I really like how Kubrick does what these kind of repressed women are doing with also at the Alan Cumming character. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. So when Tom leaves her, he gets gay bashed. And then after he gets gay bashed, he sees this prostitute, which I think facilitate all the things that are happening to him. His wife telling him about this hot naval officer, him getting his masculinity. He's been emasculated. He's on the been street. Well, for, he was lifted up by this crazy lady and then uh, knocked back down. So then he's very receptive to the prostitute. And he, she takes him back to his place. Vanessa and, Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. With her little Charlie Brown Christmas tree of this raggedy ass apartment. Then when he, he goes, so another, I, I think the one plot point that didn't work for me is Tom Cruise getting the costume because he goes to this costume shop, which he thought was owned by a previous patient. And it's like after midnight when he shows up and he wakes up the, the owner and it's not his patient. It's uh, the it's some very, other guy. He's a very famous Croatian actor, Radish Serbeja. And, and he says, you know, I'll give you $200 over the rental price if you give me this like costume because I he really wants to go to this party. So the guy agrees. And then while he's there looking for a costume, we're interrupted by he has like this underage daughter. Lily Sobieski. Lily Sobieski, who's having sex with these two men who look like cross dressers. Yeah, these two Asian men in drag. <laughs> and I thought that was too much. Sure, but that that part is in the book. Uh, maybe. I mean, it just feels Not like, with those details, but yeah. Because then when Tom goes to return the costume. He basically says, you can buy my daughter. You can buy my underage daughter. And she is very aggressive with Tom. Like when she first meets him the first time, she's like all on him. I don't know that I needed that. Um, I kept thinking Tom carries a lot of cash. He carries a lot of cash and he has to walk a lot. But I guess in the late 90s, maybe you had to if you had money because yeah. i mean well he and he sure liked to there was no uh, visa debit card I don't show think. his medical license oh i wrote down there could be a drinking game for every time tom shows his doctor card like what kind of card is I'm dr harford okay <laughs> okay well here come in i'm a doctor tell me this private information <laughs> when we get to the like mansion where these like sex parties are happening uh, i thought it was funny that you're like oh we're at the home alone house <laughs> At this party, I thought the sex was not very sexy. No, I, I don't think, think the sex scene. I don't think the sensuality of that is the, the like. Does the book feel sexual? The book, the book is uh, dealing with sexuality, but the the orgy at the party is not described in any kind of a certain term. Oh yeah, see, I don't think it was well done. Just in this how movie. beautiful the woman is that warns him. Yeah, nothing about it was sexy, and then we do see people like engaging in like penetrative sex, and that shit looks so like uncomfortable but it looks like people it's performative which is what it looks like well it, it does look performative because the two people we see having sex because all the women are beautiful but we assume the men are probably rich old men who probably aren't yeah. very attractive but the two men we see having sex they are they have very nice bodies so it made me think like are these people just watching people have sex and then they go do their own weird shit in private this sequence also makes me uh reminds me of the wicker man too and because you're always wondering like was Dr. Harford selected to be another, part of this charade. Another scene I thought was a little crunchy is when Tom returns home from the sex party because he's been out all night long and he gets home at like 4 or 5 a.m. As he's coming home, Nicole is having a nightmare about like, having sex with a bunch of men. And laughing. Yeah. And, then I, and then it kind of gave like... I, I didn't like it because 
it seemed like okay what a coincidence but are you also trying to give us like supernatural vibes well i think the i think the problem is too like the juxtaposition she's being punished for her dream world right by his uh his actual actions and we get to visualize what he does but right. she has to relate what she's going through right vocally so it it plays in a different way that kind of has a level of inauthenticity to it but i think the best i think the highlight of the film for me is alan cumming oh yeah his little 90 second scene he should have received an oscar nomination because i think the way he's looking at tom cruise and clearly like lusting over him it's like perfect he wants to drink it up drink up his yeah. milk uh the, the th another thing the dream in the book obviously is different it's not about her fucking men it's uh she has this very elaborate dream about him being crucified which enrages him <laughs> oh god then um we get like four different visuals of tom imagining nicole having sex with a naval officer mm -hmm. which i thought felt disruptive like it, it didn't blend well it was just random like black and white scenes of eh, it didn't sure. it didn't send me anywhere um when tom gets home from that long night um of trying to figure like the next night of trying to figure out what's happening and the mask he because when he went to the masquerade party he he lost the mask and when he gets home the mask is on the bed so it's very ambiguous as to whether or not someone broke into the house and put the mask on his bed or nicole found the mask so i thought that was it definitely you know was a tense moment well i also like the metaphor of that of what, of what it's saying her husband's mask is, yeah is what's left behind in bed with her now yeah that was effective um and lastly i think the score is like perfect for the movie oh the score is is excellent and also a, a specific woman is credited with doing i think it's basically uh hymns in reverse at the orgy because oh. uh, i i have very i, I was responding to that it, it but larry uh sorry larry smith was the cinematographer but jocelyn pook is the woman uh for that apparently created the music well, we only have a few minutes left but i i, I did want to say i could totally see this being remade but what i think it would never be the same well yeah. What I think would be a great update is I would love to see maybe if this were done from the angle of like four different people and it question and then we get more of like the female perspective. So maybe flip it where sure. Nicole's but character is able to act out her things and we see her husband in anguish. But I also think it could confront sexuality, gender, like different angles. I, I really like what Kubrick did with this this kind of update of it, but in kind of uniting Marion, uh, the the patient, the woman patient, and Nicole Kidman and uh, Alan Cumming as these beings that have to play these certain games to get their needs met, whereas like men can just, you know, straight white men can just walk around and get whatever they want. And the temper tantrum that he's showing, that, that this movie is about his temper tantrum, yeah. is what I think. And she's... She really is literally be, be punished for uh, having a dream about sex with someone else. Uh, I also like that her dream in the scene that we just talked about also gives me Adam and Eve vibes, like because she's talking about shame and, mm. and kind of like once you go beyond the point of no return, once you eat that fruit of knowledge and and experience shame and embarrassment. Uh, I, I just think that there's so much going on with that. I, I don't know. I, I think it's 
very well done. Uh, also, Kate Blanchett's voice is uh, used as the voice of the mysterious woman at the party. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what else would you say about? I almost want <laughs> the hills have eyes wide shut. The hills uh, have eyes wide shut. <laughs> what would you give it? Oh, and also the rainbow things because there's that talk about we're going to where the rainbow ends, and then the the shop where he gets the costume is the rainbow, which is kind of uniting it with some Wizard of Oz themes. What would you give this movie? Four. I would give it three and a half out of five, I th- um, which means I think it's very good. Um, but I think that the Edgar Allan Poe uh, quote, all that we see or see is but a dream within a dream. Oh, that was the name of one of Britney Spears tours. The okay. dream within a dream. Well, she's stealing. She's stealing <laughs> from uh, Edgar Allan Poe. What's going on this week? Uh, well, I was hoping we'd watch Matilda the musical today Ugh. to cover that. But... Uh, <laughs> Like, I don't know anything about Matilda. You but... like Lashana Lynch? I do. Yeah, from Woman King. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I did like she her. She plays Miss Honey, the kindly teacher. Uh, th- that and I think you're, I'll probably get you to watch White Noise so we can cover that. Mm. Um, but other than, and I doubt I can get you to watch Broker. But otherwise, it's kind of a quiet week as usually it is. The last well, weekend. New Year's Eve, um, we we might do something. We do. We might. We might. Um, are you going to talk about that yet or no? Well, we might see Dita Von Teese. Dita. But that's only if a friend comes through mm-hmm. with tickets. Um, I'm certainly not paying to see Dita Von Teese. Oh, my God. <laughs> not on New Year's. <laughs> I need VIP roped off shit. I'm not going to be in some standing room only on New Year's You didn't talk Hollywood. about the Janet Jackson reference in Call Me Miss Cleo, which I'm assuming is why people kept asking us to watch it. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, for the people who said we should watch it, is it because uh, two people? Well, yeah. Mention. Actually, I forgot the reference now. What was it? Uh, one of her ex-lovers, who is now a trans man. Oh, one of Miss Cleo's ex-lovers had never had an interracial relationship before. And then he goes, "Well, that's not true." And then he says that he was fixated on Janet Jackson. And then we see the love will never do without you, like visuals. He had a fantasy about her, and apparently Miss Cleo got mad. And Miss Cleo didn't like that. And then Raven Simone talked about how. It, oh, she can't be mad at that. She, you, you can't be mad at loving Janet Jackson. So that was a highlight of the documentary. <laughs> um, that's all I have. Do you have a final? No, I, I did my I did my uh, Edgar Poe. Well, happy holidays, everyone! Thanks to everyone who have sent nice messages and sent money and gifts. It's really sweet. And like the headline in the uh, that Tom Cruise picks up in the paper, we are lucky to be alive in bold typeface. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>